As Israel and Hamas continue to battle an ongoing war in the Middle East, communities throughout the nation, including here in Wisconsin, are seeing a marked increase in hate crimes and rising anti-Semitism. First Amendment advocates say they're worried that both pro-Palestinian and pro-Israeli speech is being suppressed on college campuses, and protests on both sides of the conflict have erupted worldwide. But the roots of the conflict stretch back decades with complicated issues at stake and no easy answers. Welcome to Route 51. I'm Shireen Seward. Today, we learn about the history of the conflict in Israel, the climate of free speech on campuses and in Wisconsin communities, and what to expect as the war rages on. In a few minutes, we'll talk with Dr. Edgar Francis, who is an associate professor in history graduate program coordinator at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. But now we'll talk with Dr. Demir Kovacevich, an assistant professor of political science at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, who has extensive knowledge of issues in the Middle East. Professor, welcome back to Route 51. It's great to see you again. Thank you, having, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Tell me a little bit about your background and uh, how much interest you've had in, in Middle East relations over the years. Sure. Uh, so my training is in political science, particularly international relations. So I have a PhD and uh, focused on that. So I teach classes on introduction to world politics, international relations theory, political violence, international conflict. So although I've never taught a specific like area studies course on the Arab-Israeli conflict or Middle East studies, it's a conflict that time and time again comes up in my classes. Um, it did before 2023 and October 7th. Uh, it certainly does now. It's often a case study that we uh, dig into in, in my intro classes as well as my upper level classes. Um, so it's always been one of those situations that we've been studying um, with different generations of students going back to 2014 when I started teaching. And I'm curious with as long as you've studied the uh, the war and the the conflict that's going on over there, were you surprised in October when everything just erupted? Was that something that took you, was it shocking to you? Or is it something that you kind of expected all along to happen? I think it's not surprising in the grand scheme of things because we've seen conflict with these sides before. The event itself was shocking in its magnitude and, and, and what it created. If, if, if Western powers and Israel was caught off guard, then certainly someone like myself, who's not glued into the, the intel channels, was caught off guard. So I think the magnitude of an event in that Saturday morning, I think that's what was shocking. The, the fact that Hamas and Israel are fighting isn't so surprising, considering we've seen this um, in most recent history, 2021, 2014, 2012, 2008. So it's strange to say that it's expected almost that they'll continue fighting. It's more difficult to sort of um, look at what happened October 7th and say, I expected it to go that way, right? I don't think we expected it to be in, in that light, but to sort of say that, they, that, they're, that they're fighting, that's not so much a surprise. The attack itself was the, the shocking thing and how it was executed. What does Hamas want? What are they hoping to accomplish? And and why did they attack now? Going back to their formation, their kind of official formation in 1987, they're an offshoot of uh, something called the Muslim Brotherhood, which originated in Egypt back in the 20s. And and so they, they, they're an offshoot of that kind of organization that historically operated in Egypt. 
1987, their call was for essentially the destruction and the elimination of, of Israel. And so they have kind of a message that is rooted in, 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 a, in kind of an Islamist ideology of a Palestinian Islamic state, right? There is an Islamic resistance movement. And unlike the Palestinian Authority, which operates and governs the, the West Bank region of Palestine and is more likely to and has in the past um, had peace negotiations with Israel, has considered uh, the existence of Israel has considered a two-state solution possibility. Hamas's goal is strictly on this one-state idea, that one state being for Palestinian people. And so what they want is um, to ultimately delegitimize and eliminate Israeli, what they see as illegal occupation. Um, and so they view themselves as a national liberation movement. And a lot of Palestinian folks in the region see it that way. The issue with them, and they have political support, is that when they become militant, often their military tactics uh, bleed into uh, terrorist um, tactics. And that's where you get the outrage from Western countries and the rest of the world, where we recognize that you have political support uh, in Palestine and that you have won political elections before and that you represent uh, people in Gaza, but your tactics often uh, fall into an arena of um, legality in terms of international uh, humanitarian law. The roots of this conflict are not new. They go way back. I mean, way back before my time. I mean, when did this really all start? Yeah, and you know, with Edgar's story, and I know he'll probably fill in more of this timeline. I'll say a a good twentieth century beginning point would be going back to the time of the end. You know, the kind of the end of World War One. Uh, Britain at that time was given a, a mandate over the region uh, to oversee uh, this region along with some other regions, which is modern day like Iraq today, and France oversaw modern day Syria. And the, the Balfour Declaration of 1917 essentially established that a Jewish homeland would be created here for um, Jewish uh, people fleeing Nazism, um, leading up to, of course, World War II and throughout World War II. So we saw more and more uh, Jewish folks from, from uh, Europe moving into the region. The issue was that there was a sizable Arab population already living there. Um, Flash forward to 1947, 1948, you have the UN partition plan, which ultimately establishes an Israeli state and a, and a, and a, and a, and a well, a, a Jewish state and an Arab state. It was accepted by uh, the Jewish people. It was rejected by uh, the, the Arab civilians living there, which then leads to the kind of the, the first modern 20th century war between the two sides, um, leads into what we call the Al-Nakba, the catastrophe that this mass exodus of, of Palestinian refugees that you know, many of them have still not returned as of today, that ultimately then establishes the new Israeli state or the, what we know today as the Israeli state. Israel declares itself a, a state. It's recognized quickly by other uh, Western powers and the United States. Um, and everything since 1948 on has been this kind of conflict over um, and possibility of, can we see a Palestinian state coexisting with an existing Israeli state with borders that have been implemented in 1948, but that have somewhat changed in 1967, 1973, and on. And, and what would those borders look like between the two sides? 
you as a historian and somebody who has studied so much about uh, about wars, are you concerned that this will turn into uh, a much wider war um, that that goes well beyond the borders that they are that, that the fighting is in now? Well, in a way, it has, and 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 that is often a concern. If you think about the support that Hamas has in the region, it's 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 rather complicated, but and you know they they're funded and backed and trained by Iran, which is a a hostile uh, nation uh, nation state to 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 Israel. Um, they are often in coordination and 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 backed by Hezbollah, which is another resistance and. Um, terrorist organization in in, in, in uh, southern Lebanon, which has been fighting uh, Israel there. It's been backed by the Houthis, which is, a, again, a militia group in Yemen. Um, it's part of what uh, Iran calls this kind of axis of resistance in the region, where you have Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis, different uh, paramilitary groups in Syria and Iraq, who are opposed to, of course, Western rule and, and, and Israel. Um, We've also heard of, you know, funding from Turkey. Um, some of their leaders uh, are actually living in Qatar um, and, and are funded by Qatar. Um, there is a complicated relationship with Egypt, where Egypt would like to not see so many Palestinian refugees moving into Egypt, because then that would ultimately mean um, the existence of a Palestinian state is, is, is in peril. Um, but they also would like to see... Uh, the influence of Hamas kind of um, tamed because uh, they've dealt with their own sort of Islamist and, and terrorist organizations in, in the past with the Muslim Brotherhood. And so the, the, the conflict is, is, is widespread. And in a way, it's, it's brought sort of these, in Islam, we call them the Sunni and the Shia sects. It's brought different Sunni and Shia groups together and they found common ground when often they're, they're sort of split. And, they found, and, the, and the common ground in this case is, has been the destruction of Israel. You're listening to Route 51. That's Dr. Demir Kovacevic, who stays with us. We'll bring on Dr. Edgar Francis now as well. Dr. Francis is an associate professor and history graduate program coordinator at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. Dr. Francis, thank you so much for being here. I'd like to ask you a little bit about Zionism. What is it? What does it have to do with this conflict? So Zionism is the ideology that the Jews that um, the Jews of the world are not just people who share a religion, but that they are a distinct people, a nation, and that this nation needs to have its own nation, you know, nation state. You know, just like you know, there's Germany, there's there, there's Italy, there's France, and so and so forth. Um, this is an ideology that came out of uh, late nineteenth century Europe. Um, where the you know really the thinkers who were um, you know who were the first to lead you know Zionist organizations and and start to advocate for Zionism, they argued that even you know that Jews had been living as minority communities throughout the world since the first century CE, what we call the diaspora, um, and. By the late 19th century, these leaders said, look, Jews are unable to live as minority communities in, you know, in Europe. They aren't able to live a full, you know, a full life, despite the promises 
of you know, of the Enlightenment and and political reforms in Europe in the nineteenth century and so forth. So so these leaders said, the you know, Jews are not being allowed to you know, live as Germans, as Russians, or, you know, as, as Frenchmen or whatever. The Jews of the world should be, you know, should have a nation state of their own, and the you know, the logical place for su such a, such a state in the, in their mind was was uh, geographically what we call Palestine. At that time, it was part of the Ottoman Empire. That's the region that had been home for the ancient kingdom of Israel. Um, and a slogan that is often attached to Zionism is a people without a land for a land without a people. You know, that is to say, bringing the Jewish people back to the, you know, the land of that ancient kingdom. However, in, you know, in the late 19th century, Palestine was home to people. There were uh, ethnic Arabs who, you know, who lived there. Um, and so the, you know, the origins of this of, of this conflict go back to, uh, you, know, you know, going back before Israeli ind independence. Just go. It goes back to this conflict between, um, you know, Jewish, you know, Jewish settlers who wanted to establish a state for Jews on, you know, on this land, and the Arab people who were who were living there, uh, at you know, at that time. Yes, we'll take a break and we'll get right back into all of this uh, fascinating discussion. You're listening to Dr. Edgar Francis and Dr. Demir Kovacevic on Route 51. We're discussing the history behind the Israel-Hamas dispute, anti-Semitism in Wisconsin communities and campuses as well. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. I'm Shireen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. We're back on Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. I'm Shireen Seward, Dr. Edgar Francis, and Dr. Demir Kovacevic are our guests today. A discussion on the, the conflict in Israel and the ripple effect reaching Wisconsin communities. I'm curious about what effect World War II had on all of this and also how the people who were living in the Palestinian areas uh, reacted when their communities were targeted for uh for an israeli state demir what do you know about that yeah um i'll go back a little bit to sort of the end of world war one um kind of the end of the ottoman empire two taking us up to world war two um following kind of the end of the ottoman empire the the the, the british um had a, had a mandate over over the region that is, you know, today Israel and, you know, at the time Palestine and a few other areas in the region as well as along with other European powers. And back in 1917, there was the Balfour Declaration that um, essentially stated that there would be a, a Jewish homeland um, for Europeans fleeing Nazism in Europe at the time. Uh, and throughout the 20s and 30s and 40s, uh, we saw more and more uh, uh, migration into 
what is today Israel, what at the time was Palestine. Um, in 1947, so if we fast forward a little bit, um, there was a UN partition plan that was proposed, which would have essentially split the land into a Jewish homeland and an Arab homeland. It was accepted by the Jewish people. It was rejected by the Arab people. Um, you know, to them, they were a majority of the population and they were now getting a minority of the land in a significant chunk from what it was you know, a day prior, you know, those years prior to that, um, which then led to the the, the sort of first uh, Arab-Israeli war of 1948-1949, leading to kind of a, a mass exodus, uh, displacement of um, uh, Palestinian refugees, uh, it's often called the Nakba, the, the catastrophe. Um, ultimately, then the, the the state of Israel declares independence, and um, you know, the borders that we understand to be Israel today looks somewhat like that in 1948, although they have, there's been additional kind of land added to that. Uh, and then moving forward um, after that time period, uh, the state of Israel comes into existence. Uh, many Palestinians then become refugees living in, um, well, today in Gaza and West Bank, but also in Syria and Lebanon and Jordan. Uh, and from then on, um, it's recognized by many world powers. I think the United States actually recognizes it the day of or the next day. Uh, and then you have the currently what is the state of Israel. Okay. Uh, I guess, you know, you said something else earlier in the program that Hamas just wants to destroy the, the Jewish people. Why? Well, um, from their perspective, uh, this would go back uh, and, I'll, you know, I'll let the historian chime in on this more. But, you know, you, you take the, you know, a decades long conflict, you know, they can point to major points in, in, in you know, you, uh, Israel-Palestinian um, timeline, 1948 war, 1967 war, 1973 war. Um, they can point to, you know, the uprisings, the Intifada, uh, the, the of 1987, the early 2000s, sort of where they get their, uh, you know, uh, place in, in, in Palestinian history. Um, they're, they're an extremist actor and, and they're a unique actor. And I, I think maybe we'll touch on this later, but I'll, I'll just briefly mention it here. They have uh, political uh, power in Gaza, but they're mostly known as a militant group, which is why they're often designated as a terrorist organization by most Western powers, the United States included, uh, because of the things that they do, because of the tactics that they rely on. And some people may remember this who are a little older, but in the the, the height of of of, the, of their suicide bombing campaign in the early 2000s and kind of the 2005 period, um, this was a this was a main tactic of Hamas, right? Equated with um, the group, and so most people that understand Hamas understand it with that tactic, right? Using those kind of indiscriminate uh, violent strategies that most people would classify as terrorism. And so it's this idea that there needs to be an Islamic land um, in what is today Israel, and that land needs to be Palestine for the Palestinian people without any kind of compromise, any kind of negotiation, um, not recognizing any kind of Israeli state. So ultimately what it would be, it would be a one state solution, but that one state would be a state run by Hamas for the Palestinian people that doesn't include the Jewish people. So, um, so I, I think I think Demir really summed it up very, you know, very, very well um, that that Hamas is both a nationalist organization and what we call an Islamist organization. That is to say, they they 
Um, they want their state to be governed by Islamic principles, um, but it's, if you will, the, the nationalist party is, is even more you know, is more important for your question, in that they you know, Hamas leaders essentially believe that you know, Jewish settlement in you know, in Palestine is completely you know, completely illegitimate. That this should be land just for you know, Palestinian Arabs. So it's um, and this. Um, so it's a fine line, but this is not specifically. Um, this is aggression, aggression and animosity directed against the state of Israel, and of course the you know the Jewish the Jewish people of Israel, and Jewish supporters of Israel, and not so much, uh, and within you know, and yes, vir, you know, virulent anti-Semitism gets mixed up in that. But it's primary. But their goals are primarily um, national in the you know, in, in that regard. The um, the goal of a you know, a single state for Pal for Palestinian Arabs for Palestinians. Um, since since mm -hmm. October, there have been a, a a serious uptick in the number of of hate incidents that have been recorded across the United States. Uh, for one example, there was a, a man in Wausau who is now running for mayor of the city who stood up at a, a Marathon County board meeting and kind of went on an anti-Semitic rant and blamed Jewish people for COVID and uh, all, all sorts of things. That's just one example of many and, and probably a mild one compared to some of the things that we're seeing nationwide. Why do you think this is happening? Why, why do you think that that this action by Hamas triggered this kind of of response from people in Wisconsin communities so far away from the conflict. So you, you you're asking a Middle East specialist to speculate what's going about what's going on in central Wisconsin. So yes. keep in mind I'm <laughs> I'm really stretching myself. What I see, and really I'm speaking more as an informed community member than anything else on this topic. Um, I think what I see is this is you know this is a conflict with horrendous death, destruction, and pain being that that was inflicted against Israelis and is uh, and is continuing to be inflicted against Palestinians. To say nothing of what was going on before you know before October seventh. And I think what I what I see is a number of people believing that they they have to choose absolute sides. That um, you know that to that to recognize the pain and suffering of Israelis means to completely delegitimize de um, you know, you know the pain, suffering, and humanity of Arabs and you know, and Muslims, or on the other hand, to recognize the suffering of Palestinians, is to completely delegitimize the humanity and suffering of Israelis and you know, and Jews, Jews the world over. And of course, of course, I'm setting up some extreme poles here, but both, you know, you know in my you know, in my view. Both views are, both of those polls are are, are illegitimate. 
the question of what should happen uh, in, in, in relations between Israel and, and the Palestinian people is a political question that we can all we can all disagree on, we can all do, debate. Um, but no matter which side of the debate you're on, um, that uh, that doesn't mean that that you are automatically denying the you know, you know the humanity of those you know those you know, those who oppose you. Virulent anti-Semitism is you know did not just crop up in the U.S. on October seventh. Um, since two thousand fifteen. The United States has seen increasing anti-Semitism in you know, in the way that anti-Semitic conspiracy theories have you know, you know have gotten airtime in a way that they that they never did that we they, we've been hearing more about them. Of course, um, you know there have been things like the. Um, you know, you know the synagogue shooting in you know, in Philadelphia a few you know, a few years back. Um, so you know, and I th and I you know, certainly the October seventh attack, as I said, you know, brings issues relating to you know, relating to Israel into sh into sharp relief and brings, and I think it's brought emotions to you know, to a boil. Why twenty fifteen? Um, I mean, you were very specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, okay. Well, that is so. I so when I when I've looked at looked at the you know, at the data, that's really when th when people talk about things t you know ticking up. And um, in my you know, you know in my personal view, that's you know, that's around the time that is the time that Donald Trump began campaigning. Um, you know, on an, uh, you know, on a very nativist political, you know, politi you know, political platform. And, you know, and I want to make it clear, I am not accusing him specifically of it, you know, sure. of, of anti-Semitism. Um, but it seems like since since Donald Trump came in, you know, you know, came into American political life in such a you know, such a major way. A lot of these these fringe theories have gotten a lot more, you know, a lot more oxygen, if you will, you know, in, you know, in the room. Demir, briefly, what do you think? I mean, why do you think that anti-Semitism is on the rise on campuses, on and in communities throughout the U.S.? I mean, when we're so far away from the conflict over there. Yeah, I, I liked Edgar's point about these absolutes, and I think people who are seeing this, you know, the, the, you know, we're full of emotion and, and we need to sort of, we, we feel like we need to operate in these absolutes. Like you need to tell me right now who's wrong and who's right in this. What side do I take? How do I interpret this? And often it's not that easy. And um, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, these are not new concepts, right? The, these things, we see upticks in them, but, but, but we see these things surface, usually in response to major events where people, some people at least, ex respond in extreme ways. And you know, bringing this topic up in class, um, literally the next day we were covering our terrorism unit, right? The day after this happened, or two days after it happened that Monday. And 
coming into it thinking, okay, well now this 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 unit is going to have a lot more weight to it, of course, and coming in with the, the the explanation of my students, which was, you are rifle in criticizing these kinds of attacks. You are rifle in criticizing the actions of Hamas. That doesn't mean that you are an anti-Palestinian. You know, at you know, I mean, it doesn't mean that this is an attack on Palestinians. And the and at the same time, as we've seen the conflict progress, and we've seen some accusations of Israeli overaggression and 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 sort of the the, the killing of innocent civilians, um, you are rifle in criticizing the Israeli military response, the Israeli government response, and that doesn't necessarily make you an anti-Semite. And so th those two things can very much be separated where we can criticize existing governments, we can criticize existing non-state actors and terrorists, and we should, just like we can criticize our own government. It doesn't make you anti-American or anti-Christian or anything like that. Um, but I think people often respond to extreme events with, with these absolutes um, rather than sort of thinking it through and, you know, really thinking about what's going on. And it's complicated. I get that. But it doesn't it doesn't mean that we have to operate in these absolutes. We'll get back to the history of of all of this in just a moment. I just want to ask one more question about about this in light of these congressional hearings that we've had on on these, you know, the the anti-Semitism in in college campuses, especially at some of these Ivy League schools, where's that coming from? And I mean, do you do you think that that's warranted? Um, wh what's the issue there? I, uh, Ed Edgar, what what do you think? Um, so uh, so I'll you know so with regard to those specific con you know, congressional hearings, um, the unfortunate thing. Of, well, okay. Yeah, unfortunately, what most people heard was the sound bag, soundbite of college presidents be, you know, being asked that question about genocide, and university presidents presidents waffling on the on the subject of academic freedom. Um, what most people who didn't watch the full hearings didn't didn't uh, see was members of the committee leaving with questions um basically uh, you know, about some of some of the slogans that that uh, Dumir had actually meant you know meant you know mentioned you know mentioned earlier where to use an example the phrase um from the you know from the river to the sea um you know it's something that's a phrase that's been used in some pro-Palestine rallies. Um, many, most of the people in those rallies who are thinking of it, think of it, you know, if they say, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They are thinking that Palestinians between the Jordan and, um, you know, and, and the Mediterranean will have full legal and civil rights, which they do not under Israeli occupation. Um, what you know what many uh what many jews hear is you know, when they hear that phrase is they hear that land land is going to be swept clean you know, swept clean clean of jews All, so what i'm saying you know what i'm saying is in those congressional hearings um you know michelle goldberg from you know from the new york times is um you know has suggested that these 
these university presidents were let, led into a trap. Uh, um, and it's a trap that gets to one of the issues that Jameer you know, uh, brought up earlier, namely that, so, you know, that some are that some people conflate opposition to to Israel with anti-Semitism. Um, now, with um, so I hope I've answered. Yes. You know, I've answered part of what you were asking about. Yes, absolutely. We do need to take a break and then we'll get back into more of the nuts and bolts about what's happening over in the Middle East and what has led to all of this conflict. You're listening to Dr. Edgar Francis and Dr. Demir Kovacevich. They're our guests today on Wisconsin Public Radio discussing anti-Semitism, the roots of the ongoing conflict in Israel. I'm Shireen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. We're back on Route 51. I'm Shireen Seward. Dr. Edgar Francis and Dr. Demir Kovacevic are with us talking about the many facets of the conflict in Israel, anti-Semitism in local communities, and how colleges are responding to that as well. Now, circling back to the situation in Israel, you talked about Hamas and, and, it, and its relationship to Palestinians, but do you have a sense, Tamir, of how many Palestinians actually support Hamas and really um, embrace its its philosophies? Yeah, it's 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 a little tricky to answer. Um, you know, sort of what are where the public opinion lies. What I have seen in recent years, what we've some have indicated even more recently, is that it's kind of split and it, it's, it's, it, all, it might be weird to kind of admit that, but it is, but, but a lot of, there is plenty of Palestinians today who have sort of lost hope and, and, and lost hope in, in kind of the, the Palestinian authority, which operates in the West bank, right? The, 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 the Fatah party, the kind of the more legitimate moderate uh, wing of, of, of the Palestinian side that at least will negotiate with Israel, have these talks with Israel, recognize Israel's right to exist. There's been a lot of support that's been lost, which explains how Hamas rose to power in back in 2006, ultimately uh, winning legislative uh, elections, which I think um, was a surprise to some people and, um, you know, uh, which is, you know, was denounced by Western powers. But um, today, I think there isn't uh, sort of this um, overwhelming support for the for, for the political uh, for the Palestinian Authority, um, but there's others that have sort of admitted that uh, what Hamas is doing um, is standing in the way of 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 Palestinian statehood and and Palestinian security, and so they're split. I mean, there there's still an indication that if if you know, Palestine were to have another election, and they haven't since 2006, uh, or presidential election, that um, people might actually support the, um, the 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 kind of the Hamas-backed candidate. And the reason for that is, again, Hamas's story is somewhat complicated because we understand Hamas as the militant group, right? This this Islamist group, and that's what they are largely. But historically, they've done a lot in terms of social services, with education, with clinics, with hospitals, with um, uh, religious services. Um, 
they're a political organization. So they have this kind of dynamic place in, in Palestinian uh, society. And so um, the, the question of if not Hamas, then what? Um, a lot of Palestinians don't really know what that other is. Mm-hmm. Edgar, I mean, what what about the role of other countries, uh, nearby countries? Do they do they support Hamas when we're talking about, say, Egypt and you know the the surrounding areas? Well, do you know, do it? It gets very complicated. Um, uh, one of the main, you know. One of the main outside supporters of Hamas is, you know, is Iran, um, but uh, also, uh, you know, uh, money has been flowing to, you know, to Hamas through, you know, uh, th- through Qatar. Um, what's really interesting is the way that. Uh, you know, that Israeli governments over the years, and particularly the Netanyahu government, has, uh, you know, has effectively tol- you know, tolerated you know, Hamas and and to in- ensure that it's in place. Essentially, um, this you know this is still debated, but there's good reporting that is that Israeli officials. Uh, effectively allowed funds to flow to flow to Hamas um partly to keep the Gaza Strip quieter partly um be, you know, because Israel you know Israeli leaders didn't believe that Hamas could pull off any kind of a major attack like like they did on October 7th and partly as a deliberate strategy to maintain Hamas as a counterweight against the Palestinian Authority, to to effectively prevent any you know, any kind of a uni- unified Palestinian you know, you know, political front that would create greater pressure on on Israel to uh, you, know, you know to work towards some kind of a, a two state solution or negotiated agreement. What have efforts have been made to resolve these issues and actually move forward so that we're not in this kind of situation for years or decades to come? So the mo- you know, the most the most important efforts were what are called the Oslo Peace Accords. So in, in 1993, for the first time, um, Israeli and Palestinian political leaders recognized each other. You know, recognized the idea was that the Oslo Accords of 1993 were going to start a process that would lead to a you know, a two-state solution. The you know, the sticking point, the main sticking points at that time came down to what would the land, what would the two states be in terms of land, what would what would the two states be in terms of you know, of population? Well, you know, if I you know, when when I teach teach about this in a class in central Wisconsin, it looks, it looks pretty easy. You've got the 1948 borders of Israel. Mm-hmm. And since 1967, Israel has, um, you know, it has retained control of the Gaza Strip and the West Bank as occupied territories. Effectively, the, the idea of, 
you know, of the Oslo Accords was that those regions would you know, would be the would be a Palestinian state. Since 1967, uh, you know, Israel, you know, you know, Jewish Israelis have been settling in the West Bank and un until 2005, even in Gaza. So that you know, so that you've got a significant and politically powerful group of Israeli Jews living in lands that um, you know, that are supposed to be the foundation of a, of a future Palestinian state. So the so one question is basically what's going to happen with those you know, with those settlements, right? And from 1948 to the present, their descendants have lived as you know, you know lived as refugees where they were not allowed to return to uh you know to their former homes that that were now Israel uh, you know, after the war they you know they were not assimilated into you know into the surrounding arab states where where they ended up um so the you know so in the you know in the field we refer to this as the um you know, the right of return that 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 is to say what will be the rights of these descendants of the of those 1940 so that's refugees? a that's a key component in in these yeah. discussions yeah. Ab ab absolutely and and keep in mind um you know again you know demir alluded to to this over half the population of you know, if we focus on gaza over half the population of gaza are Palestinian refugees. So, so the, this is of, of key, key, key importance for, you know, for that population. And, you know, for at least, well, at, for at least nine years, there's been no effective dialogue. And, and one could really, you know, push that back um, all, you know, all, almost 20 years. Why is that, that there hasn't been a lot of discussion and what's it going to take to restart that oh there's a lot of factors but ultimately what we're kind of getting at is is it possible to have a, a two-state solution right that's how we discuss it you, you'll see articles about that that's how we maybe bring it up in class and there's a there's a lot of factors one of it could be well who's the existing what does the existing israeli government think right who's who's the prime minister what is their relationship with the existing us president um they were better with netanyahu and trump they were worse off when netanyahu had to deal with barack obama and you know uh although we've had this as biden calls this unshakable support for israel the relations between the Biden administration and Netanyahu administration aren't as strong as they were with uh, the Netanyahu and, and Trump administration. The other factor is, of course, uh, the, the the kind of spoiling effects that Hamas has been uh, engaging with. So the U.S. will not negotiate with terrorist organizations. Hamas is uh, classified as a terrorist organization. So any kind of peace process, peace plan will have to be one where Hamas is not in the picture. Well, Hamas is certainly in the picture right now. Uh, and they have been for a very long time. And Edgar was talking about some of these points already, but I'll kind of say that there's these four main issues and they're big issues. They're not issues that we can kind of just check off. What should happen to Palestinian refugees? Should they have the right to return? We're talking millions of people. This would obviously disrupt or create new demographics, which would ultimately create a minority Jewish state. And I think the state of Israel probably wouldn't support that. 
whether Jewish settlements are legal or not legal under um, international law. There's been debate over this. The UN and most international powers have agreed that these settlements are illegal, right? And the Israeli settlements in the West Bank or in a couple in the Golan Heights and up, up until 2005 in, in, in the Gaza Strip. Um, here's a really big one we haven't really mentioned. Um, there's this important city called Jerusalem, right? What what? How do we share this site between these two um these two people and a city that is uh, a sacred place for Christians, Muslims, and uh, Jews, and then whether uh, and and how a the borders would actually look between a Palestinian state and Israeli state. Um, this would be an existing Palestinian state if all of these other things could be worked out. If Hamas is not in the picture, right, and and these two sides sit down to you know, something like a new version of the Oslo Accords, um, you still have an existing Palestinian state within an already existing Israeli state, right? It's not sort of this clean cut, right? Where you get the North, we get the South. It wouldn't look like that. So a lot of issues still on the table and they have been for a very long time. Boy, I, I mean, do you see hope for the future or, I mean, is this going to, is this war going to be going on for a long time? What do you, what do you think? Um, well, Netanyahu has made the case that, uh, and, and according to him, that the, 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 it's kind of the beginning of the end of Hamas. So maybe that's the case. Um, others have, are sort of skeptical over whether you can fully uh, destroy or you know eliminate Hamas. And the question is, if you do, um, there's other groups like you know Palestinian Islamic Jihad. There's other you know groups in the region that could you know, rise up. Um, and so there has been a push internationally for a ceasefire over the humanitarian crisis. So we'll see if, if that kind of ramps up. I think a lot of that is still on the United States. As long as we're willing to support Israel and and and, and, and back Israel, that, that becomes a little bit more difficult. But if you have strong, legitimate Western support for a ceasefire, that might put a little bit more pressure on Israel, especially considering the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Um, so Will this be a long war? I'm not quite sure. I wouldn't say it would be years long. Will the two-state solution be something that they pick up once fighting has stopped? I don't think so, right? I, I don't think we're there yet. And I don't think the Netanyahu government is willing to even consider these talks with the Palestinian Authority. Um, so we're, we're very much away from, from that idea. And we have been for, for, for a while now, as Edgar note, noted, um, fighting could cease but again it would take uh, immense international support uh kind of continued immense international support we have about two minutes left in our time together edgar i i i'd like your take on that what's it going to take how long is this war going to last and and are we going to eventually see a solution here um so i th so i you know i agree with you know most you know most of what you know, you know Demir said said and thank him for bringing bringing up those bringing up these salient points the um the war you know the war itself everything I hear from uh, you know you know coming out of the Israeli Defense Ministry really is measuring the the ground fighting in terms of months probably um my question is slightly different. What then, after you know, not just the human human destruction, but the destruction of the you know of infrastructure of you know of Gaza? Um, so that's kind of one. And let's assume that Israel achieves its goal of removing Hamas 
who's going to govern Gaza. Israel has said that they don't want to govern Gaza. You know, the leader of the Palestinian Authority has been, uh, you know, has been quoted as saying that he will not ride into Gaza on an Israeli tank. That he you know, that he has no interest in in taking over Gaza under those circumstances. Um, it's so. What will happen to the infrastructure of Gaza? What will happen? You know, you know, how how will Gaza be be ruled? We don't know, and I don't think that Israeli planners have have, have thought that through. The the one other major change I think to look for again, this is months, maybe even years down the line. I'm going to be a fool and make predictions about Israel Palestine. Um, and, okay. You know, and I see you know I I see the the October seventh attacks and the, and this and this war. As something that may have long-term political repercussions, at the very least, for Netanyahu, Israelis have been outraged that you know that the Israeli security forces did not catch this attack before it happened. And there were signs. I mean, the the mm-hmm. intelligence reports were were there. It's mm-hmm. and you know, and, yeah, Israel has prided itself on its military and its yes. intelligence for years, <laughs> and it looks like you know. Looks like they they were caught with uh, they were caught unawares yes. to use a less colorful phrase. I'm going to say, but um, what you know, what that would mean then for Israeli politics and for the the, the potential for a two state solution is completely un, unclear. Would it lead to you know Israeli government you know Israeli government and Israeli politics more willing to Work you know, work toward some two state solution, or would it lead to even more hard, you know, hardline you know, governments or well, somebody else that looks like Netanyahu but with a different name? We'll have to wait and see. I want to thank you both for talking about this very serious subject with us today. Uh, very fascinating. I, I thank you both. You're listening to Route 51. I'm Shireen Seward. Once more, extending a sincere thank you to our guests, Dr. Demir Kovacevic and Dr. Edgar Francis. Our producers are Joy Ratchkramer and Ezra Wall. Our executive producer is Ezra Wall, who is also our on-air producer today. Thanks to John Altenberg for the Route 51 theme. You can hear the archive of today's program as well as our previous programs at wpr.org slash route 51 and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Wisconsin Public Radio.